Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. And I'm going to allow the Word of God to preach, to speak to you. Because what better than His Word that has the power to produce life in us be the context and the focus of where we are this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice, you were. That's past tense. You were. Now, who is he speaking to in Ephesians? We know that the book of Ephesians was written to a church in a geographically place called Ephesus. And the writer is Paul. And he is writing to the church of Ephesus, which it had many churches. And this is a handwritten letter that was distributed among everybody in that area, in that region. So for sake of context, just know that the Bible took a letter and made it into references with chapter and verses for our sake of better able to read and to remember where we were the next day. Amen. But the way it was written was in a full letter form. So we have to read it in that same context. And allow the word of God to give us understanding of what Paul was saying to this specific church in this moment. And he's telling them, you were dead. So these people, part of this church in Ephesus, guess what? They're Christians. How do we know that they're Christians? Because he said, you were dead. Well, then we know that they were not physically dead, but they were, are spiritually dead. Meaning, they have been born again because if you understand salvation... You didn't change physically, you changed spiritually, right? So he's talking to a bunch of believers, Christians, and he's saying, you were dead. Today, who's a Christian? Lift your hand. Come on. Boldly proclaim it. Guess what? You are dead. I said this before, and I'll say it again because I love it. Christians are the only people that have hope in physical death. We're the only people. If you're a Christian today, let me help you. Don't be scared of physical death. You got heaven. You have eternity with the Father. There's no need to be scared. Now, for those that don't have not come to Christ yet and given their life to him, I would be scared of my life too. Because there's an emptiness. There's an unknowing. There's not an assurance that faith gives us. Come on. But, man, we have a faith. I'm going with the Father. Come on. So, just like they were dead, today, if you're a believer, and if you're not, you can give your heart to Jesus. You can, it's a quick decision. You say, you know what? I want to know the Lord. I want to know him like how you're talking about him. Because you can. He's a person. And he'll change your life. It says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Notice they were dead where? Trespass and sin. Today, you are dead in the area of trespass and sin, meaning sin no longer has life, power. There's no source of life when it comes to sin in a believer's life anymore. None. It's gone. It's defeated through, come on, let's continue to go. It says, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So they obviously used to walk a certain way according to the course or the system of the world. Following who? The prince of the power of the air. This is Satan, the devil. Movies, TV shows, literature try to depict and show a picture of who he is. They say he has red horns, a little tail, 
and a pitchfork. I'm here to tell you today that Satan is the god of this world. But I'm here to also tell you that he has no power and authority over a believer. He doesn't. But if you yield to him, he does. Through the blood of Jesus that has been shed once, like Hebrews says, and once and for all, you have authority today. Authority means delegated power. Delegated means that very similar to a police officer, he has delegated authority that comes from the government, right? Well, very similar, we have power through government or through Jesus Christ. Our power doesn't come from our own strength. Our power doesn't come from what we have or who we are. It comes from who he is. Delegated authority. Delegated power. Come on. Following the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. So meaning anyone that is not a child of God or born again or saved, they are under the influence of the spirit of Satan. He is their God. He is their God. This is why it's so important in the day and age we live in. You have to preach the gospel. This is why it's so important that we have to live as children of light. We have to walk as people of salt. Be salty, man. It's the only time you can be salty. And if you don't know what that means, that means you haven't been around a lot of young people recently. They use, they use the word salty as, you know, uh, I, I don't even know how I use the word salty, but how, how would you say it? Explain it. Basically, it's just, there's something off about you, you know? There's something off about you. You're, just, yeah, you're being salty, you know? Quit trying to find a problem and everything. But this is okay. You can be salty. Come on. How many like a little bit of salt on your food? When my parents came, um, I'm from Texas. And I said that very Texanly just now. I don't know why. <laughs> my parents came probably about four years ago. And uh, my mom and dad, they, I cooked a lot of the t- food here whenever they were here. And my dad literally said, son, there's no season in this. <laughs> um, I've gotten used to, I guess, not putting a lot of salt in my food. Mainly just because of all the sodium buildup, I guess. I don't know. Just look, I have a whole bunch, bunch of water. But my dad literally would take that salt shaker, and he would just put so much salt in that. I'm like, dear God. Your cholesterol, your blood. But look, this is how we are. We're the salt of the earth. Think about it. We're the salt. Meaning people, the world, knows who you are. They know you're a Christian. They know your light. They know your salt. If today you're living hidden as a Christian, let me help you. Get out of that place of hiddenness. Stop hiding. Be bold. Be unashamed. For I am unashamed, like Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says. For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is a power to those that believe. How do you think they're going to get saved? By how you live, by how you talk, by how you preach. Because preaching ultimately is by how you live and how you speak. we got to get through this. And in the mind, or sorry, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Notice the body and the mind. The body and the mind, which we're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. The mind and the body. Those are the two things 
as a Christian that you have to deal with. So if you're still in sin, if you're still sinning or habitually falling into the same weakness, that's because your body and your mind are unrenewed, like Romans chapter 12 says. You just got to get it and place it under subjection to your spirit. And that takes time, that takes discipline, and that takes accountability, that takes you being uh, vulnerable to men and women of God within the church that God's planted you in and being able to receive correction and instruction and love and encouragement. Come on. That's the purpose of his church. That's the purpose of his gifts, the fivefold gifts, to equip you. But in those areas, it says, in the mind, and you were nature, by nature, by nature, children of wrath, meaning sinful nature. Now, we know we have a new nature, just like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that we have a new nature. Your nature has changed. You still look like who you do in the mirror, in a physical mirror, but your spiritual nature has changed. You're not dead anymore. You're alive. Like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, verse 4, because of the great love which he loved us. Look at this. God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning his love was there even when you were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. So every single person today that is an unbeliever, his love is afforded to them. This is what we call inclusion. The love of God is inclusive to everybody, all of humanity. It is. It's for everybody. Jesus sent, or God sent his son Jesus for the whole world. John 3.16 says. So the gospel in itself is inclusive. But believing in God is exclusive. Not everybody chooses what God has provided through his son. What does it take to believe in what God has provided through his son, Jesus? Belief. Faith. And what ultimately is faith? Love. What ultimately is love? Obedience. Why am I saying this? Because we can't fall under the trap that we as a person can come into relationship with the Father and think that we don't have to change. We have to. The very nature within you change. And what follows is the body in the mind. So this is why if I walk contrary to his word, then I'm walking in sin and walking against what he's provided in love. And therefore, in my disobedience and rebellion, listen, in my disobedience, in my rebellion, I'm not able to receive all that God has for me. Not because of his love. No, his love's inclusive. But because of my belief in him. Which is exclusive. I've heard it said this way. That the love of God is inclusive, but the people of God, God are exclusive. And it's true. It's going to cost you your whole life. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you denying yourself, crucifying your flesh, so that he gets the glory. He gets the glory. This is why you can't live a certain lifestyle. I'm going to be really wise in my words. But this is why you can't live a certain lifestyle or be a certain way 
and inherit the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with his love. It has everything to do with how you believe in him. Because if you believe in him, you'll change. God, this is good. It's good. I love God so much because he first loved me. I'm able to change because of what he's done for me. It has nothing to do with his acceptance. It has, has everything to do with if I, have I accepted his word and his truth. He is the way, the life, and the, or the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. Who is Jesus? He's the truth. Not by how I feel. Not by what society says. Not by what any entity says. Not by what I have cross-examined and gone through the Bible to justify my weakness and say, well, God loves everybody. It has nothing to do with the love of God. It has everything. Do you love him? Do you love him? Now, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together. Now, how did this happen? We were made alive together with Christ. Jesus died on a cross, went to hell, defeated death, hell, and the grave. Three days later, he rose again. Come on, we're getting close to Easter. I think it's about, what, six weeks now? I mean, we celebrate Easter every day. I mean, it's just we're celebrating the resurrection of our Father. But we are coming to an important day. And I encourage you to be here. It's kind of just like a little side advertisement. Be here for Easter. <laughs> a lot of this, for some reason, Easter is one time that most people will come to a church that are not a Christian or a believer. It's just it's how it's always been. And we just believe that the power of God will cause people to be set free that day and they'll walk with the Father for the rest of their life from that day. Amen? But made us alive together with Christ. And how did he do this? We know that after his resurrection, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days and then on his ascension to heaven where he is now seated with Christ, or he is seated with the Father. The Bible says in Ephesians I believe it's chapter 3, that he is seated, or no, Ephesians chapter 1, he is seated with Christ. Our God, he is seated with God, and we are seated with Christ. That's the right word. By grace, say grace, you have been saved. Say, I have been saved. Now, what is grace? Now, the title of my sermon, I didn't give it to you, Grace for the Labor. Grace for the labor. What is grace? Grace, the Greek word, is charis. Or charis. Is that right? Charis. See? Hey, I like it. And the definition is a kindness, a gift, a blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ. Look at that. It is a gift or a blessing brought to you, to me, by who? Jesus Christ. Through who? Jesus Christ. It is by grace, if you continue to read in Ephesians 2, it says, And he raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There it is right there, Ephesians 2. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable greatness of his grace and in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is my part, your part. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Faith is having no confidence in myself, but confidence in him and what his word says and speaks to me. So grace is a blessing 
brought to man by Jesus Christ. It is favor or unmerited favor. Now, unmerited. I didn't get his grace based on merit. Just like I don't lose his grace by demerit. You ever been in school? They probably don't do this anymore because society's changed pretty drastically. Where they used to give stars or they gave demerits, right? You remember that? Anybody remember that? I remember that. You get a star for doing something good. And then if you were rebellious or did something wrong, they give you a demerit. They would take away the star. They put a little black circle. And no, no matter how you feel about it, that's okay. But just because of what I do wrong and sin or against God, I don't get demerited from having his grace. His grace is always there. It's a free gift. It never is contingent on what I do or don't do. It's beautiful, huh? There's no condition to it. Because if there was a condition to it, then grace in itself would not be grace anymore. It wouldn't be grace. See, the meaning of the word grace, as we see in the New Testament, is not like one that we use in our common speech. The Bible, this word grace, the way the Bible talks about it and represents it, is in a way which is limitless. The Bible expresses this word grace that there's no limit to it. We even see that you can grow in grace and in knowledge. You can grow. Come on, say grow. In grace and knowledge. That's Luke 2, 52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor, which is another word for grace, with God and man. So grace can grow. And it's limitless. And since it is limitless, its realities within our life are infinite. Infinite. It's nothing less than having the unlimited love of God. We have the love of God, unlimited. Remember, God loves the whole world. But he expresses himself or his love in measureless grace. Measureless grace. It says that in verse 7, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. There's no measure to his grace in your life. This is good news for you today. This is good news for me today. There's nothing I can do except just blaspheme the Holy Spirit and turn away from God that I can't receive of his grace and grow in his grace. We know that there are four types of grace. There is a saving grace that saves me. There is a justifying grace that justifies me. And that word justify literally means justified never sinned. And there is also... A grace that if you will allow it to, like Titus speaks about, it will teach you. Grace can be a teacher. And let me help you. Grace is a lot better teacher than anything that you can learn through your own personal experience without it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. 
Grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, or some translations say teaching us. Look what it teaches us. Look what grace teaches you. And this is important to see that grace is teaching us this because these things hinder grace from growing, hinder grace from working in our life. Just like the love of God, like I said, his love is inclusive, but how I receive of that love is exclusive. His grace is, is, is inclusive, but how I receive of that is exclusive. There are things that I have to do in order to receive his grace. Grace is his part. Faith is my part, though. I got to believe. Training us or teaching us to renounce, renounce, renounce ungodliness. Worldly passions. Live self-controlled. Upright. I'll say it with a smile. <laughs> Godly lives in what age? Right now. Not when you go to heaven. The present age. Right now. The present age. Ungodliness. Worldly passions. Notice it says teaching you to renounce. Grace will teach you to renounce, walk away, stop, give up. Don't give it any life. I'm not going to give ungodliness any life. I'm not going to give ungodliness any part of who I am. Worldly passions, living self-controlled. Living self-controlled. So think about this. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, first off, is love. But part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So I am unable to do what God has called me to do without walking in the Spirit, without walking after His grace. Without God, I am unable to do what He has called me to do, what He has spoken me to or purposed me to do when it comes to laboring for Him, when it comes to building His kingdom, when it comes to serving Him, because I'm not rightly putting His grace, what He has given to me, in a right perspective of my life. What does 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A very familiar scripture for a lot of people, but often take out, taken out of context. Verse 5. On behalf of this man, actually, I just I have to read, I have to read the full concept of it. This is Paul speaking. I must, verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, which is the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Uh, verse 5, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees me, sees in me, or hears from me. Look at that, man, that's some... That's some humility right there. If we could just learn from Paul right now. He said, I could boast 
And if you know Paul, I mean, the man was intelligent. He had a high status, all the accolades. And he said, I could boast. And honestly, we get so many people that boast in our own self. And the Bible calls it pride. And just like the word of God says, that God opposes the proud. But he gives what? Grace to the humble. Verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he has received through visions, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And what was this thorn? It says it right here for anyone that doesn't understand what the thorn was. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, to harass me. That's what the thorn was. Now, when we look at the word flesh, we automatically think he's talking body. No, he's not. He's talking about his flesh, the thing that opposes his spirit. It says, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, here's God's response. Here's the response to his prayers. Saying, God, take it away from me. Now, the term three times, when it's written in this language, does not necessarily mean that he only spoke about it three times to the Lord. It's a saying. He's basically saying he talked to God about it a lot. And how often do we talk about to God about things that we're going through? Challenges. Saying, God, take this away from me. God, help me. I need you. Now, here, we're going to learn the response that the Father that Jesus gave Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Why did he say it this way? Grace, again, is God's power. Paul was saying, this messenger of Satan, he's bumping. Everywhere I go, man, he's, he's constantly attacking me. He's keeping me up at night. It says that even, think about this, that even the people in, Corinth, in, the, in the church of Corinth noticed it. They could see it. They could see that there was something attacking him, that there was something working against him. Maybe in your own life, there's something working against you. And maybe it's not just from a decision of sinning or walking after the flesh. Maybe it's something spiritually that's attacking you. Maybe it's something that's coming against you. Notice the response that Jesus gave Paul and how you can receive the response accordingly as well. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, the thing that I do, the free gift, this unmerited favor, this blessing, my grace. Why is it there for him? For my power is made perfect in weakness. You have weakness? Rely on his grace. And how do you rely on his grace? By faith. The very thing that you're going up against, that you're trying to fight in your own strength, that you're trying to pray away and get away from, better yet, Say, God, I thank you that you are going to get the glory out of this. God, that your grace that you afforded to me, that your grace that you have given to me, you're going to get the glory out of this. It's going to be made perfect in my weakness. What is that weakness today? What's the weakness within your life? Where can God's glory be made known in your life? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pride. Whatever it may be, God can get the glory 
But you, by faith, will have to receive of his grace. And that grace will teach you. That grace will train you. That grace will literally cause you to get in a place where you're no longer relying on your ability, but his ability. And it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man. See, this goes a lot against our doctrine and our way of believing when it comes to our relationship with God. This is the Bible. It says, therefore, I'll boast. I'll boast all the more gladly my weaknesses. Boast. When was the last time you boasted? The Amplified says it this way. For my strength and my power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed, and show themselves most affected in our weaknesses. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory. Say glory. Glory in my weaknesses. Glory. My glory. What does he mean? Is he excited that he has weaknesses? No. He says, I will glory in the middle of it. And who is he giving glory to? God. So this isn't some understanding of saying, well, God's given me this weakness to teach me, to train me, to keep me humble. No. But God, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of what you're going through, can get the glory through his grace. Get the glory through his grace. Get the glory in the middle of your weakness by you relying on his grace. See, there's grace for labor. And as a church, God has called us to labor. And we're not going to do it in vain. No, we're going to do it to which he has afforded to us, which is his grace. How are we going to be able to achieve everything that God's called us to achieve? How are you going to be able to do everything God's purposed you to do as an individual by his grace? And even in the middle of your weaknesses, even in the middle of your struggle and the things that you are challenged with, you can boast, you can bring glory to God in the middle of it. Because his grace is sufficient. His grace is working. His grace is evident. Because you believe in it. It says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I'm content. With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, come on, I am strong. How am I strong? Through him. Strength doesn't come from your own ability. Again, grace is his part. If it was through your own ability, then it's not by his grace. And you can only go so far in doing it in your own strength. How are we going to achieve and accomplish everything God's called us to as an individual, as a church? Through his grace that he so freely gives us. But when I get in pride, as so many people within the house of God and church do, well, he opposes them. The Bible says though this way in James chapter four, very important. James chapter four, and I'm almost done. Verse 13, come now, 
you will say, or you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, he will live, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Arrogance is pride. Boasting, giving glory and pride is evil. It's evil. We got to be careful as men and women of God to not be proud, to not have pride. The Bible says when you humble yourself before him, he will do what in return? Exalt you. I don't have to exalt myself because when I do that in my own strength, well, then it's pride. But when I humble myself before God, he exalts me. And what does it mean when he exalts me? What is that even, what's that understanding? Meaning he gets the glory. As he exalts the very life that he's given to me by his grace, through my faith, God's getting the glory in my life. God wants the glory in everything that you do. God wants the glory in the labor that you do for him. But again, it's through his grace. It's through his grace. Matthew 9, it says, verse 30, 38, Matthew 9, 38. Put that on the screen. I can turn there if I need to. Got it? Okay, cool. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What are we doing? We're laboring. For what? The harvest. But you're going to need his grace to do so. Again, you can grow in his grace like Titus says. And his grace can teach you. It can train you. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.